This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. So, um, going back to Independence Day, going back to dependence, that's what I'm talking about this morning. Because our, our scriptures, the Bible, tells us a lot about victory. In these words, the Word of God, it tells us many things about victory that we can experience. But it also tells us that the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of men. It's not like this world. As we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew, the title that Tim is, Pastor Tim has uh, titled it with is The Forsaken Kingdom. Because Jesus came, yes, He died on the cross, but He came also to be the expressed image of the Godhead. Meaning He wanted to show, God wanted to show the world what He was like. And so He came in human form. And He displayed what God is like, but He also taught about what the kingdom of God is like. And the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of men. It's been called an upside-down kingdom. The economy of heaven isn't the same as the economy of the world. The value system is different. The culture is different. And so today, if, we're, if you and I, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, our mentality, our thinking, our culture, our spirit ought to be different. So then what are we talking about this morning when we say a champion loser? I grew up playing sports my whole life. You don't get into sports to lose, right? You get into sports to get on a team to get really good so that you make the other person lose and so that your team wins. Is there losing in sports? Yes, but that's not the goal of why you enter into it. But this morning, according to the Word of God, How do we become a champion loser? How do we lose and at the same time still gain something? Because that sounds counterintuitive to what my flesh thinks. I want to win. I want to dominate. I want to be in control. And the Scripture would say, well, that's not really the path to victory. So this morning I want to talk about the dependence upon God, specifically through the life of Jacob. So if you would turn in your Bibles... We'll get there in a second, but turn your Bibles to Genesis 28. We're going to start there. Our main text is going to be in Genesis 32, but I want to give you guys a little bit of background on the person of Jacob. I could just jump right to 32, but I want you to know a little bit about the history and the background. And so before we read, would you just join me in in a word of prayer, please? Father, this this isn't our idea. It's not my idea. This is your idea. Displayed in these pages is your idea about your character and who you are in spite of mankind. It also tells us something beautiful about your plan for mankind. As you have made a way for us to have peace with you again, God, through your Son, Jesus Christ. As you have made a way for us to learn more about you and to be To an extent, Lord, your hands and feet to the world around us. But I pray, Lord, that um, this morning as we learn about dependence, Lord, that we would not 
go through these things in our own ability and own strength. As you want to carry us forward in our chapters of our story in this life, I pray, Lord, that there would be nothing holding us back from allowing you to write new chapters and new ventures of faith and new things that we can experience not only of you, but of how you would like to use us, God, to glorify yourself. So God, I pray as we open your word, that Holy Spirit, you would do something in our hearts that is not man-made, that you would do something in our hearts that is from you, God, that you would quiet all the noise and that we would sit before you and that we would receive something from you, Lord, because you are a good, good God. We thank you, Lord, for this morning and just pray, Lord, as your word goes out, that it would fall on good soil of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So who was Jacob? Who was Jacob? I'm going to kind of cover a little bit of, like I said, of a backdrop. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Yeah, Abraham was was Jacob's granddaddy. Then his father was Isaac. And Jacob was a twin. His brother's name was Esau. Okay? And so Esau came first, and as Esau was coming out, Jacob grabs onto the heel of Esau, and it became his namesake. The name Jacob means heel catcher, right? It means supplanter, which essentially could be defined this way. A usurper or someone through craftiness and dishonesty takes the place of another. Jacob was the guy who had the plan behind the plan. He saw the angles, and then he kind of went across to a different angle. And we'll get to his life with his uncle Laban, because he was also a, a planner of the same nature. He deceived his older brother. He deceived him not only once, but twice. Okay? He deceived him out of the blessing, and he deceived his father out of the birthright, which in essence hurts Esau, right? And so because of these things, he feared and fled for his life and headed north to Haran, to find a bride from his mother's family. Can, Grant, can you put a, a map up? I just want you guys to get a visual context. Okay, all the way down in the south, in the Holy Land and Israel, there is a city, an ancient city called Beersheba. That is where Jacob's parents lived. That was his hometown. And mom wants to send him all the way up to Uncle Laban's house in the north, if you could see with the arrow called Haran, which is about 3,000 miles away. This isn't by planes, trains, and automobiles. This is by either camelback, donkeyback, or just by walking. 3,000 miles to go and find a bride because his mother didn't want him to marry a bride from the, land, the people of the land. His brother Esau, knowing his character, Esau just is like, I'm going to spite my parents. I'm going to marry someone of this land. And surely he did. But as... He goes and he's on his way. If you look on the map, there's a place called Bethel. And Bethel is on the west side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is significant in the Bible because whenever somebody, whenever in the, especially in the Old Testament, when somebody crosses in, something happens. There's a lot of miraculous things that happen. That land can, we can call the promised land, right? Or Israel. But when somebody leaves here, as Jacob is now going to leave the land and cross over the river, he's going to have this encounter with God. He's on the way. 
He's afraid and he's alone, not knowing what lies ahead. And then let's read together in Genesis 28, verses 13 to 15. Let's read about this encounter that Jacob has with God before he crosses the river outside of his homeland. Okay? Genesis 28, verse 13. Does anyone need a Bible this morning? I apologize for not asking. Does anyone need a Bible? If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have some extra ones. Anybody need a water? Okay. I'm going to read. I need a water. I'm just joking. Okay, 28, 13 to 15. You guys there? Let's read together. And behold, the Lord stood. Let's go back to 12. Then he dreamed, because he's sleeping right now. And behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. So the Lord's on the top of this ladder in this dream. And he's speaking to Jacob. And he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So the, God told him, I'm going to bring you back to this land. You're leaving this land now, but I'm going to bring you back, Jacob, to this land, and I'm going to be with you. And I have a plan for you, Jacob. I'm going to do something great. I'm going to use you to be a blessing to others, Jacob. And Jacob receives this, and then he calls the name of that place. Can you go back to the map one more time, Grant? Thank you. You're awesome. Bethel. You see it? Just south of Shechem? So that's the place where he says he has this encounter with God. Now fast forward. 20 years is going to pass. 20 years he's under the covering of his opportunistic, similar character, uncle, Uncle Laban. He marries two of Uncle Laban's daughters. That's a whole other story, but we won't, we're not going to cover that. It was a deception, but anyways. Um, he marries in those 20 years. He has kids. He grows in wealth and stature. And he finally, after counter-deceiving and counter-deceiving with his uncle, it's like they're doing this back and forth, like who can one-up the other? He finally makes peace with his uncle. And so now what? He takes the 20, after 20 years, he goes back to the 3,000 miles to his hometown, to his homeland, I should say. And as he's there to go to the land of his father and grandfather, he remembers something or something that was always there. That's the part, that's the area where my brother was. I left this land 20 years ago because I was afraid for my life. And oh, by the way, he's still over on that side somewhere. And so as he goes there, he sends you know, an emissary before him now that he has all, these, all the family, all the flocks, all this wealth. And he's like, okay, I'm going to send some messengers. I'm gonna, I want them to check on Esau and kind of gauge my brother Esau's like, what his countenance is. I want him to tell him like, I'm here. I'm gonna, I want to see you and da, da, da. And they come back and tell Jacob, hey, Jacob, hey, by the way, um, yeah, he's coming, but he's coming with some, some people, some men with him. And so Jacob does what Jacob does and he freaks out. And he makes, he literally makes a counter plan. 
because that's what Jacob does. He makes a counter plan to a counter plan. As a planner, there's parts of me that I joke around with people and sharing my testimony, like, I'm like a Jacob. There's a plan to a plan, and then there's a backup plan. But, um, but in, this, in this place of fear, let's read what he, what he says in Genesis 32, verses 9 to 12. You guys are tracking good. It says, Then Jacob said, so he's praying to God now. Remember, he's afraid of his brother. He's afraid for his life. He's afraid for his wife and children. Okay? And he says, Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. Lord, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. I crossed over this Jordan with my staff. That's all he had. And now I have become two companies, this large group. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Notice that, fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob left a single man with nothing. He left that land a single man with nothing afraid. With an idea, with a purpose, I'm going to go find a bride somewhere in my mom's home country. I'm going to travel all that distance. Okay? That's, that's all I got. I got this purpose. I got this thing. And then he has this encounter with God. And now as he's coming back, he returns a rich man with a huge family 20 years later. And guess what? He still has the same fear. His brother. Our main text tonight, or tonight, this morning, is Genesis 32. I know we've been covering a lot of background, but I really want you to know this man's character and a little bit of his backstory because I think it, it of course, lends itself and bleeds into what is going to happen right now in Genesis 32, verse 28. So follow along with me. Sorry, 24 to 28. I apologize. It says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So Jacob, again, remember as he's leaving 20 years prior, he's alone, about to cross the river. 20 years later, the family's all sent away. Okay? He sent everyone away for their safety. Where's Jacob? By the river alone, having an encounter with God 20 years later. But this one wasn't a dream of, of this ladder. This one was a wrestling match. Not only a physical one, but a spiritual one that would happen. This is one that God initiated with Jacob. Wait, not gentle God. Yes, God. 
He initiated this with Jacob. And, and you know, I mean, that, that question obviously would come up in our minds. Like, why? Why now? I mean, God blessed him. He did all these things. Like, why, why would God put, bring these things? A few thoughts. Jacob was a man with proverbial ghosts in his past. A man who, though he had much, couldn't outrun and he couldn't outwit his past or his fears. He had possessed all of these things, but something didn't change in here. He still carried that fear, right? A man who could think that by his own strength and his own intelligence, he accomplished a lot of things by his own strength and intelligence. He had made a life, but actually he was just a self-dependent man. Though his circumstances and lot changed, his lot in life, the man hadn't really changed internally much. Remember back in verse 9? Jacob refers to God as the God of my granddaddy and the God of my daddy. Okay, He says the God of Abraham, my grandfather, and the God of Isaac, my father. But the Lord pursued Jacob to be Jacob's God. Before God was going to take and have Jacob go back into the land and cross over the river, he wanted Jacob. He didn't want just to be Jacob's granddaddy's God. He didn't want to just be Jacob's daddy's God. He wanted to be Jacob's God. And a man who is completely self-dependent, who has gotten through life, couldn't, up to that point, wasn't willing to surrender. And so God had to pick a fight with him. Now, is it hard for God to defeat somebody? It can happen like that, but it prolonged, and we'll get to that. Jacob's about to enter into this land of promise, into the land that God told him would ha- things would happen. And he left that land 20 years before, having experienced something of God, but now he's going to enter in and needed to experience something through this wrestling, through this brokenness. In other words, God wanted him to enter into the new land, into the new chapter of his story, a broken man. A man who would be dependent upon God because that's who God was making him into. You see, I think there's times in our lives and in our individual walks, in our individual journeys, we all have a story. And all of us have chapters being written in our story. But there's times where it's like we don't cross into the new chapter perhaps, and in Jacob's case, this river, until we're willing to like let go because we're still holding on to all this other stuff. Jacob was still holding on to his fears. Jacob wasn't changed on the inside. And God's like, I'm not going to take you any further until I deal with the things that are inside you, Jacob. I'm not going to take you any further until I rule you. Verses 25 and 26, he's injured but refuses to tap out, right? He gets his, his hip list dislocated in this wrestling match. And in certain contexts, we might say this is heroic. He's not a quitter. That's something we esteem, right? Like, he's not a quitter. He's fighting till the end. He's not letting go. There's something like, I seriously, I think pretty much most of the movies I've cried in, confession, are sports movies. Because you see that, like, that buildup and, you know, like, where they came from and how they had to persevere and go through hard things. And you're like, oh, man, this is awesome. Yeah, (laughs) Like we watched, we watched um, Remember the Titans with my kids and went through it and it was just like, oh man, there's parts where I'm like, it's all right, it's all right. Left side, strong side. 
right? So in this case, rather than tap out or submit, he just hangs on. Okay, he's injured and he hangs on. And the duration of the fight goes on all night, which I think is an indicator of God willing to meet Jacob where Jacob was at, but also how stubborn Jacob was. I'm not going to let go. I'm not. And the Lord did indeed bless him. But Hosea 12.4 adds a little flavor to it. The prophet Hosea said this in, in chapter 12, verse 4. He says that as he was hanging on, he wept and pleaded. So there's an exclamation point in my Genesis 32 account, but it's a lot different when you're looking at it through the backdrop of like through tears and weeping, like, I won't let you go until you bless me. He probably screamed. But Jacob was now a broken man. And in 27 and 28 that we read, he's given a new name. Remember, he was the supplanter, the heel catcher, the one who through his cunning ways, through his intellect, through other things, can usurp or take the position of another. That's who he was. But God says, you are no longer Jacob. Now I want you to be Israel. I want you to be, Israel means God prevails or ruled by God. Jacob, I don't want you grabbing at other people's heels, trying to get ahead in life. I want you to be ruled by me. And if you, if you continue in Jacob's life, the history of it, and we're moving forward in, in, this, in the story, in the chronology, there's times where Jacob is mentioned as Jacob. Like Jacob did this. And there's other times where it says Israel said this or Israel did this. This is after this fact. Which kind of is a picture for us of walking in the Spirit, times where Jacob was submitted to God, and then times where he walked in, in Jacob, in Jacob's strength or in Jacob's intellect. Right, And so this, there's this like picture for us of the flesh and the Spirit at work for us on the New Testament side of things. But it's this, this idea of this constant thing for God wanting Jacob to submit, to be a champion loser. And in verses 29 and 32, we see Jacob's response and some of what will happen. So let's read that. It says, Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. So he's asking the man. He's asking God in this picture. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. So Jacob would be, we could say, yes, Abraham is the father of many nations, right? But Jacob is Israel, right? And his sons and grandsons would come to be the tribes of Israel that we read about in the Old Testament. Okay. As I mentioned earlier, Jacob's wrestling was both physical and spiritual. And he needed to be broken that he might be dependent upon God and not himself. Here's a big one, and I think it's a challenge. As I wrote it, it's like, 
as someone who teaches like the word of God, whenever I write something or I say something to somebody else, there's certain times where you like say, that's not for me. And this was like one of those not for me. This is from God, but it's for me too. Jacob thought that the main adversary, listen up, Jacob thought that the main adversary was his brother. He thought that the main adversary was an external one. That was his fear. But the real enemy of Jacob was his own unconquered pride. And you see, we could do the same thing this morning. Especially in times like this, right? There's a lot of calamity, a lot of chaos. We could say, that's the problem. And those people are the problem. And this thing is the problem. And that's the problem. If this only changed and got sanitized and cleaned up, then everything would be okay. Then everything would be back to normal. It'd be good. It'd be fine. Well, no, the problem is that I could change all the external stuff, but it doesn't change anything here. You see, I think that's the thing about a lot of religion is that it changes the external things. Okay, I need to be nicer. I need to forgive people. I need to do this. I need to do that. And it's this constant like rat race or performance treadmill. And that's what a lot of religion is. But where I believe Christianity differs, and it ought to differ, I'm not saying that people can't take it to a legalistic point, but where it ought to differ within us is that someone else did the work that we couldn't do ourselves. Jesus came and did what we were unwilling or unable to ever do in fulfilling what we couldn't so that we could have peace with God. So the problem you see isn't the stuff out here. This is just the consequence of living in a world full of sin. This is a consequence of the sin nature. The problem sometimes is looking in the mirror and saying, Lord, is everything clean and going on? Is there a lot of fears? Has there been any change in here? You see, 20 years had passed. 20 years since his first encounter with God, but not much had changed in here. Everything had changed out there, right? So he could say, oh man, this has changed, this has changed, this has changed. Oh wait, there's one more thing, God, I want you to do. I want you to change and take away my enemy, my brother, or, or at least make him be nice to me. Isn't it true that sometimes we pray and we'll ask God, and this is okay. We pray, we ask God for stuff. That's, that's biblical, right? But oftentimes God doesn't grant the answer the way that we want him to. We think like this is how it's going to happen, God. You're going to use this to bring deliverance in this area. You're going to bring this to bring healing in this area. And you're going to use this. And God's like, sometimes he's like, yeah. And other times he's like, no. Because God sees the beginning and end of our story. You see, we're in the middle of our story. We're in the middle chapters. In any movie or any book you read, you don't stop in the middle, right? Because why? You, we know what's going on at the end. So we're called to fix our eyes on what? The author and finisher as believers of our faith. Are you and I still in process? Yeah. But if we only focus on the external changes that, that we say we think have to happen, what if God doesn't want to do it the way we want to, him to? You know, I think of a time in, in, um, in Habakkuk where Habakkuk the prophet comes to God and he basically says, Lord, there is all this unrighteousness going on in our nation. How are you allowing all this to happen? Lord, you need to come and do something. And God says, you know what? I'm going to bring Nebuchadnezzar, that Babylonian king who's a more wicked king than yours, more wicked people than yours. I'm going to come and use them to judge you guys. And that sounds, whoa, 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 I don't like that. 
But here's the thing, is God was do, had a plan, and Habakkuk's like, well, God, that's not what I was talking about. Let's, let's pump the brakes on that. I don't want you to bring Nebuchadnezzar in the house. We don't need that. I just want you to deal with clean this stuff up. And God says, exactly, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean stuff up. And so oftentimes, maybe we have the right motive or the right thought, but perhaps the method of how things are going to change is completely off. And that's where we have to be submitted to the Lord in those things. So he would have this limp, this physical limp, the rest of his life as a memorial of that encounter that he had with God. He would limp around with his hip the rest of his life and let that be for a physical reminder that, Lord, I need to be dependent upon you. You, had, you and I had an encounter and you broke me. But look at how much at the end of his life he is blessed, right? We're given insight into the end of his life. In Hebrews 11.21, it says this, It was by faith that Jacob, before I go read it, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. It's like the hall of fame in sports. It's like, whoa, these guys are all amazing. And it's all that word by faith is repeated over and over again in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's by faith they did this exploit. By faith they did this thing. By faith they did this. And when you come to Jacob, there's one verse about him. Hebrews 11.21, by faith Jacob, ready for it? Moved mountains. Healed tons of people. Turned water into wine. No. When he was old, by faith, when he was old and dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons, those are his grandsons, and he bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Hold on, let me get I'm a visual person, so I'll be out here. So this is this is what God's what God's bringing to remembrance. That when Jacob was old, remember this is the man we're reading about in Genesis 32 that was just broken. When Jacob was old, at the end of his life, God brought him to an, an aged life, like a full life. What did he do? He blessed others, he blessed his grandsons, and he worshiped God, leaning on his staff. Well, that doesn't take a lot of faith to bless my grandkids and to, to worship God. No. To God, this was tremendous because God knew the character of Jacob. God knew where Jacob had come from. And so it's by faith that he blessed his grandsons. By faith, he worshiped and leaned on his staff. And there's another person who comes to our minds. There's, the, the, the Bible is full of people who were unwilling to submit that God broke or were unwilling to submit to the perpetual interaction and encounters with God, and they just went their own way. And the thing about our choices, guys, this morning, is our choices impact other people around us. I tell it to my kids, I'll tell them, like, I, my wife's back there, but I'm, I'm pretty hard on my, our oldest one, my oldest son, Jude. You know, sometimes I'm like, my bud, you can't just do what you want, man. You're the oldest, man. And you want to, you have this dream like every young person, right? Like, Man, I just want to be older. Like, I just want to have armpit hair. Or I just want to, I want to drive a car. Or I just want to, like, have this stuff. I just want to work. And I'm like, I'll give you work. But it's like, bud, like, you can't just think of what you want. I want you to be a kid. I want you to enjoy being a kid. Enjoy this season. And, of course, we've all been there, right? We all wanted to be older when we were younger. 
And so part of that is just growing up. But I think also, too, I say, man, I just want you to make choices because your choices are going to affect the people around you for good or bad. And so by this time, Jacob, by Hebrews eleven twenty one, at the end of his life, that choice or that interaction, the encounter that he had with God changed the direction of his family. They weren't a perfect family. Read the Old Testament. It was pretty messy and pretty dysfunctional. But thank God that he's the one that's faithful and working. And so he leaned on his staff in dependence and faith. And so this, this New Testament picture I mentioned, again, all throughout the Scriptures, we have this, this, this either they're going to be broken or they're going to rebel. They're going to refuse to submit. And we see this in Peter's life. The Apostle Peter. You know, when he was told that he would deny Jesus three times, oh, by the way, by Jesus himself, what did Peter do? I'm going to paraphrase here, okay? Ready? Lord, even if all these other jokers, these other disciples deny you, it ain't going to be me. I'm, I'm like the best. I saw you on the Mount of Transfiguration. I, I, I'm the disciple that's going to be loyal to you, God. These guys, probably not. That one's questionable. This one, maybe not. But I'm loyal. I won't deny you. Jesus said, oh, you're not only going to do it once. You're going to do it three times, Peter. And sure enough, later, just as God had spoken, just as Jesus had spoken, he says, I swear I don't know the man. In the, in the, in the original language, it's quite colorful, his swearing, because it's like profusely, I swear I don't know the man. And he's doing it before a servant girl at a fire. And after these three times, he does it once. He does it twice. He does it three times. He's broken. His pride is broken. I told Jesus I wasn't going to deny him. Now I just did it three times. I'm not worthy. That's right. Not worthy. But later as a broken man, Jesus, just as God had pursued and initiated a wrestling match with Jacob, Jesus pursued and initiated contact with a broken Peter. Because Jesus didn't have to break Peter. Peter broke himself, and Jesus put the pieces back together to make Peter something that he couldn't be without that brokenness. You see, weeks later, Peter's going to preach, and thousands of people are going to get saved. The same one who was cowering in front of a servant girl. But how did all this happen? What's the in-between? Tell me the story. Here's the in-between. John 21, 18 and 19. Jesus speaking. And this verse has so much meaning to me personally. You ready? Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, you clothed yourself, you prepped yourself, you walked in your strength, and you walked wherever you wished, Peter. But when you're old, I'm going to tell you something. When you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands, and another's going to clothe you, or cover you, and carry you where you do not wish. That's humble pie. Sorry to say, but no, I don't think any dude, I don't think any, like, want to be carried. Like, it's not our dream. Like, hey, when I'm older, I want someone to carry me around. I want to raise up my hands and ask for help. That's like the worst fears, like, when I have to ask, when someone has to ask for help, right? Like, or, oh, Lord, I don't want to ask for help. Anything but asking for help. I need to appear strong all the time. And Pete, God, Jesus is going to approach a broken Peter and say, you know what, Peter? Here's the thing. You did whatever you want when you were younger. 
You did whatever you want. Clothed yourself. But guess what? You're going to be clothed in something else. And someone else, you're going to stretch out your hands and ask for help, and someone else is going to carry you. And it's not going to be something that you want. But it's going to be effective, and God's going to use you. And then it says in verse 19, this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, follow me. Follow me. So you see, Peter was a man that was broken because God had spoken something to him. He said, no, not me, God. And then he was broken on his own. And God, Jesus came and put things back together and used Peter. And he still does that today. Jacob was a man who wouldn't be broken. Jacob was a man who can depend on his own devices, his own ability, his own intellect, his own experience. But guess what? Nothing ever changed in here in Jacob. And so he was a man that had to be broken. You see the difference? But unless we're broken, unless we're submitted to God, I don't believe we'll experience the fullness of what God has for us in the future chapters He wants to write in our lives. I was just I was talking about it first service, and I was talking about it to a sister before service, and it's um, sometimes I believe in in some perspectives of the goal of Christianity. You know, when I ask people, like, what is the goal of Christianity? What is the goal? And I think there's a lot of people, and it's, 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 counter, it's all over the world, because you know, my wife and I were in Ethiopian and Hungary. Well, you pray the prayer, right? And then you don't go to hell and you go to heaven. Cool. Okay, that's great. That is awesome. But then if that's the case, my counter question, if that's the goal of Christianity, is why are we still here? Like, wouldn't we just teleport? Like, we pray the prayer and then we would just, God would just whew, catch us up to heaven? We're still here years later. Weeks later after we gave our life to the Lord, what, what's the purpose in that? Guess what? Because God wants to change in here and use us out here. Right? So the goal, I think, is a little bit deeper and a little bit broader than just, I want to go to heaven. That's a great desire. But guess what? The goal of Christianity is that we've been made, had, we have peace with God. It's about glorifying God. And if that's the purpose, then God wants to use us here now. So takeaway questions. You guys ready? Grant's going to have them up for you. Take away questions from Jacob's life. Application. Is God just the God of your relatives? Or is He your God? You see, we can, we can grow up in Christian circles. We can grow up maybe going to church. We can grow up hearing about God a little bit. Maybe we can have relatives that were devout. And we could speak of their experience, but do I have that experience with God? Do I know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior? Because that's one of the reasons, remember back in Genesis 32 verse 9, why Jacob had, I believe, had to be broken because he said he was addressing God as the God of my granddaddy and my daddy, but not his God. Okay? So is God the God of your relatives or your friends or your peers or your coworker, or is He your God? 
Next one. Have you been dependent? This is an easy one to fall into. Have you and I been dependent on external changes to bring deliverance? That if this thing gets changed, if this thing gets fixed, if this thing happens, then everything will be okay. But then it doesn't deliver anything in here. It's like sanitizing the environment, right? But it doesn't change in here. Deliverance happens in here first. I love that with the tabernacle. All of the precious stuff was inside the tent. From the outside, it just looks like animal hair. Next question. Have circumstances changed and you've grown older, but years later, you're still stuck with the same fears? Combating, it, combating those fears with the same weapons? Self-determination. Self-dependence. Wit and experience. He's greater and offers you something greater. Have you, like Jacob, been wrestling with God? Or has God picked a fight with you? Do you, do you sense that God wants to, is pursuing you? Has curiosity lent itself to more interest? Have you tasted a little bit and now you're like, okay, I want a little bit more? Because maybe there's been a refusal, and this is ha- can happen to all of us. I'm standing up here and I confess, I've had wrestling matches with God. And thank God that they were God-initiated. Maybe it's refusing to submit to Him and His will and His plans for your life. No, God, I, I, I got I to write the script of my life. I got to write the story. You can come in every now and then and have the eraser and edit here and there, but I got it. No, 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 no. God's like, I want it. So there's this like, give me the pencil. No, give me the pen. Give me the pencil, right? Perhaps, perhaps, okay? He will only take you as far as you're willing to let him. Will you let him? Jacob, remember, here's the Jordan River. I'm taking you back in 20 years after your first experience with me, your first encounter. I'm going to bring you in, but before I bring you in, Will you let me be your God? Will you let me take you farther? Or will you be ruled by these fears of 20 years, the same perpetual fear of my brother? He's going to get me. Will you, like Jacob, be ruled by God? No one can make that decision for you. I can't. Your spouse can't. Your mom and dad can't. You need to make that decision personally. It's been said this way, that God loves us the way that we are. We don't have to like dress up. Okay, I got to put on my hat. Okay, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for you. Come on. No, no, no. That's not how it is. He loves us the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. So are we still the same? Do we still have the same struggles, the same things for years and years and years of walking with God? He wants to bring change. And so with the closing thought of this, how did Jacob become a champion loser? How did Jacob become a champion loser? None of us want it. But Jesus says anyone who seeks to save his life will lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake 
save it. How did Jacob become a champion loser? David Guzik, Pastor David Guzik writes this. He says, quote, Jacob prevailed in the only way anyone can when they struggle against God. Ready? He lost. He accepted it and he surrendered to God, end quote. The only way to really win is by losing. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot of um, things that we can parade. We can look to as far as our progress. It might be how much we've grown intellectually. It might be our experiences that we've had. It might be the people around us. It might be possessions. It might be stature. But Lord, those things don't fix what's going on inside. They don't fix that problem of fear and sin. Those things are all well, but if those things are the things that carry us away from You, Lord, I pray that You would even deliver us from those things that seem good to us. Lord, I confess and I want to ask for forgiveness on behalf of all of us, Lord, for looking to external changes to bring us deliverance. Lord, in this season, there's been so much uncertainty and chaos, and we can put the blame game and point the finger and judge and all these other things, Lord, but that's only looking outside. And that's where our flesh looks. That's where the enemy wants us to look, God. But you want us to look to you to bring us deliverance. You are our deliverer, Lord. And so, God, I pray, Lord, if anybody here is, has not been delivered ever or they're asking to be delivered by surrendering themselves, they're asking to be a champion loser, Lord, so that they can have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray, God, that you would meet them right here where they're at. So with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to present that opportunity to, before you. Do you need to surrender? Does God want to write something new in your life, but you are unwilling to let go of those fears or those things or your own self-determination or your own will? Or maybe you've never given yourself to the Lord. Maybe you've never surrendered. Can I just tell you that He's the one that's going to pursue you, that He has been pursuing you? So this morning, as just as people, as we just heard his word, if you'd like to respond to it um, in faith, I'd ask that you raise your hand so I could pray for you. Either pray to surrender your life to him or pray to surrender the things that haven't, have been keeping you back from the new chapters that God wants to write in your life. Because those old things are, are shaped by fear. Those old things aren't who you are, who, the potential of who God wants you to be in Him. He wants to use your life to, to glorify Himself. And so, Lord, I thank You for these that have raised their hands. I pray, Lord, that You would meet them where they're at. Lord, this is an encounter. This is an opportunity. This is the time that they're having before You. And so I pray, Lord, that they would surrender. 
And God, as they, they surrender, just as you take the broken pieces of Peter, just as you take in the broken pieces of my life and so many lives around me, would you make those broken pieces into something beautiful, Lord? It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. And so I pray, Lord, that you would bring renewal, that you would bring refreshment, excitement for the new things that you might have ahead, Lord. We thank you, God, that you're a good, good God. We pray, Lord, that as long as you have us here, that like Jacob, by faith, Lord, you'd make us into a blessing to other people and that we would raise our hands and worship you. I just commit this group to you, this, this week to you, Lord, in Jesus' name.